0: Greetings, future fossils, and welcome to another edition of the show that examines our place in the landscape of time. Well, a huge part of the equation of being a modern human being is being a cyborg. And of course, by cyborg, I mean a cybernetic organism in the language of Norbert Wiener and Gregory Bateson and all of those original cyberneticists who understood that every living creature is an open system. And in fact, we're all... Linked minds inside some great and invisible mind at large. Those are Bateson's words folks These are the people who gave us the worldview responsible for our meta-industrial society and all of its splendors and anxieties and So of course it's important to examine in a true and accurate record of our time body hacking The phenomenon of treating one's own flesh as a technological device that can be manipulated, upgraded, experimented with, played with, expanded. And the psychological and ethical issues that come along with this, the freedom of the individual to determine their own body, etc., We really go there on these issues in this episode with Trevor Goodman of the Body Hacking Conference. It's a lovely little geek fest that happens here in Austin, Texas, and I had the pleasure of moderating a panel discussion at the Body Hacking Con last year on hacking consciousness. This year, I will be on tour in Australia, and I won't be able to attend, but I think you should. (laughs) I encourage it. It's an absolutely wonderful weekend full of interesting people, as this conversation should indicate quite clearly. So before we get started, just a reminder that if you would like to support this podcast, as well as the other creative things I do to participate in this important transitional moment in human and earth history, then look me up on patreon.com slash Garfield. I would love to have you on the inside track, getting all of the benefits that come with being a Patreon supporter. Also, of course, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever it is that you're listening to it. We at Future Fossils, and it isn't just me, we also have Evan Snyder and Andrew O'Keefe on this team. We all do this show because we believe that these conversations are important. And if you agree, then you can help us get this show into the ears of listeners by helping us game the algorithm. That is, by training the system to understand that you like this show and that people like you might as well. So that's that and on the back end of the podcast the big update is that I leave for Australia on Sunday to paint and play music and speak at a couple of awesome festivals Rainbow Serpent and Earth Frequency festivals as well as a couple of gigs in Sydney Melbourne and Byron Bay while I'm down there giving talks on the evolution and insights from the history of life to the future of life how to live in the future excerpts from the upcoming book and i'll be gathering a lot of interesting podcast interviews i'm sure the way i did at boom festival as well as taking a lot of 360 footage and all of that stuff will be up on patreon sooner or later If you know anybody in Australia, please put us in touch. I would love to meet all of the interesting heads and hearts I can while I am down there. And with that, thanks for listening. Enjoy this episode. It's a truly fascinating and bizarre conversation. Trevor Goodman of the Body Hacking Conference. Greetings everybody, welcome to Future Fossils Podcast. We're here today with Trevor Goodman, who is an instrumental figure in the body hacking conference that I was a, a part of in Austin last year, a really cool convergence of intelligent and creative people who are pushing the boundaries of what it means to be human. So welcome on board, Trevor. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, man, and really, we don't have any particular direction for this today, so uh, I think maybe the place to start is narrative and mythological, and just ask how you personally got interested in... Well, first of all, let's
1: assume nothing and define body hacking for our audience. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Um, Generally, it's a a newer term, even though it's definitely been around for at least a dozen years or so. when we started using it, we started using it because uh, we wanted to differentiate our scope from biohacking in general. We wanted to focus more on uh, human bodies and, and other bodies as specific individual entities. Um, and so when, when we were looking at words to use for this, we looked back at some of the writing that Quinn Norton had done when people first started putting magnets under their fingers and all that other thing. And she referred to it as body hacking. A lot of other people referred to it as body hacking at that time. A lot of it came out of the information security culture and community and out of the maker and DIY culture and communities and so the term hacking um, comes from that perspective of understanding a system and and making it do what you want. So uh, we're only doing that for the body. So that's, that's an idea of what body hacking is. It's, uh, in short, the scope of the event, at least, is wearable tech, uh, cybernetics and prosthetics and bionics, that sort of thing, nootropics, health, fitness, nutrition, body modification, anything you can do to be more like uh, your ideal self. Right on. So,
0: and it's... How did you get into this? Like, where in your biography did it suddenly become a relevant thing for you?
1: Well, I don't know if this was ever a suddenly irrelevant thing for me. Um, I'm one of those people who've always felt like they were in the wrong body, uh, growing up, um and was really into cyberpunk literature as I was growing up and into Shadowrun and played all those games and was always into seeing where technology was taking us. Um, Simultaneously, I've also always had a fascination with humans in general. Um, So I studied a lot of biology in grade school, um, was planning on going into neuroscience, but ended up going into psychology instead. I wanted to, to, to understand how people thought more the inner mechanical working of things. Um, there's been a lot of neuroscience that's almost made me regret that decision that's come out recently. Uh, some of David Eagleman's work is just mind-blowingly amazing. And so I went into psychology. Um, I also have a minor in religious studies, so I like to tell people uh, I have I studied people and I also like to study what people think and what people believe um, because I think these are fundamental concepts of um, what makes us human. Um, so Yeah that's kind of how I got here. Um, I went into event management and then uh, as I was coming on board with this company uh, they wanted to develop a place for people to come together to discuss these kinds of concepts as they were evolving. There's a lot of transhumanist events out there. There's a lot of futurist events out there that talk about how things are going to be in 10 years or how things are going to be in 20 years. Um, Frankly we have no clue um, what things are going to be like in 10 or 20 years. 20 years ago um, you know, we we weren't carrying uh, our memories around in our pockets with us like we are now. So we really like to focus on what's happening now in this space in human augmentation, in cyborgs, in in body hacking, and then in the next two years because just so much changes so quickly right now. Uh, It's in important for us to to focus on those things so that's why we're building this event and that's why I'm here Uh, I have a fascination with it but it's it also uh, fits into my career scope right on so there's this there's
0: a through line
1: here listening
0: to this between an interest in human psychology and religion and belief and then also you mentioned feeling like you had been born in the wrong body and that's like a a pretty common feeling I, I wonder you know, there's there's a clear relationship. You look at people like Martine Rothblatt, who is the the uh, transgender inventor of digital satellite radio and the author of uh, a number of books, kind of transhumanist manifestos yeah. on identity, freedom, and it just seems like there's a real solid connection, or there has been for a while, in in terms of people staking this like hyper I don't know what you'd call it in in terms of like political philosophy but like this hyper libertinist almost mode of like i'm going to take whatever shape i want to and also the you know a sense of feeling out of place like the the avatar thing that happened when everyone everyone really felt like they belonged in this, you know, living on Pandora,
1: like second life and all that kind of yeah, stuff. And yeah, and so
0: I'm I'm curious to you like how do you, how do you think it is that you know, where where do you like what do you see in that space where why is it that so many people feel so out of touch with their the body that they have and it doesn't seem like a new thing. Like, you know, everything that we call transhumanist today is an extension of something that's been going on for thousands of years. Right. So, I don't know. Where is he, what do you think about all that?
1: Well, I mean... When I mentioned, when I defined body hacking earlier uh, and and said, hey, we're talking about wearables, we're talking about cybernetics and prosthetics, those are all new things, those are all interesting things. Um, But uh, some of us with a more um, inclusive definition of body hacking might even go back to say that uh, our very clothes, um, fire itself, uh, and and certainly things like um, reading glasses are all human augmentation in a way. It's all ways that we are trying to... um, Control our own immediate environment and as we've evolved as a species as we've learned more as a species as we've investigated our environment uh, we've um, been able to reach beyond um, our normal sensory capacity and uh, Reach beyond what our pure genetics have given us and so in a way I think this sort of expression comes from our innate need to set ourselves apart from other people. I mean, I don't know where that came from originally. It could could have come from tribal identity and, and being able to identify people that were in your immediate social groups. It certainly still um, stems from wanting to identify with people in your immediate social group and wanting to identify with people like you. Uh, the punk culture in the 1980s had very significant hairstyles and had very uh, specific... <laughs> (laughs) Looks, And um, even though it was a very individualistic culture, uh, they still felt the need to um, identify themselves in certain ways. And so I guess the more that we feel like we have control over our own bodies and our own immediate environment, it helps us to... uh, Make ourselves stand out apart from the noise. I guess is the the easiest yeah. way. This is, it's complicated.
0: Yeah, well, like I, I heard a, some scientific research recently that that said that there's a relationship, there's a correlation between. The deciding to resolve a conflict with physical force and upper body strength. Mm. And that, that there is this this tendency that you know that males tend to have on average more upper body strength and like the male strategy for solving conflicts through physical coercion. And you know, when you look at the way that our bodies are shaped by our minds, like I know this this uh, hypnotherapist who has said, you know, the, the thing that people don't understand about psychology is that it's it's ultimately a study of the body. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that really the whole thing about the psychiatrist's couch and, like, having someone lie down is that it's a parasympathetic nervous hack where, you, you know, you're just getting the person right. to assume a submissive and receptive posture so that they're actually willing to divulge things. And so, yeah, there is this thing of, like, where the freedom of the body is also the freedom of the mind and... It gets tricky in there.
1: Well, and I mean, I... We get into a lot of ethical issues really quick because it's impossible to divorce... Our own personal expression from our interactions with other people. I mean, we do we do look at each other, we talk to each other, we live in environments where we must interact with other people, who can cause us discomfort, or who can cause us happiness, or who can cause us indifference or anger, and and so in a way, even even your basis social your your basis personal uh, expression is a is a social interaction. I mean, one of the things that popped out whenever you were talking in my head was talking about how yeah our 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 own brains shape our bodies and our own dna shapes our bodies and a lot of that is internal but so much of it is social and so much of it is external and not only is it social but i mean the the, the clearest examples in my head is that our skulls are shaped to receive the impact of human fists to talk about, to go back to violence. And our fists are shaped to deliver the maximum force to a human skull. I mean, so we've, we've done studies on on how skulls have uh, evolved over time and how fists have evolved over time and it just shows that you know those of us who can receive and give the most punishment pass on our genes to, to more people and so even in those like basic fundamental social ways it affects our DNA and it affects who we are as, as people.
0: Mm. <laughs> Yeah, dang. Well, so, so you and and uh, Susan, so folks, I've been writing occasionally for the Body Hacking Conference blog, and one of the one of the pieces that I've been asked to write that I haven't written yet that hopefully will will be out by the time that you hear this and we can link to it in the show notes is on autonomy and and this particular issue of how where you know the. We're made out of interfaces, basically. You know, every every piece of us, if you want to get into the cybernetic view of it, you know, there's Francisco Varela and Umberto Macharana who pioneered this notion of autopoiesis, that every living thing, it's very intricate about how mind is a self-organizing process that's not separate from the processes of the cell. And this issue of where do I begin and where does someone else end? And where does hacking my body is, is ultimately always a political act because in some way it's interfering, well not interfering, but intervening with the commons.
1: Well, it's, it's interfering with this, the expectations that the system has at that time. So, yeah. like, uh, if I go out in public and wear neon colors and walk around the mall, it's going to irritate people, right? <laughs> it's, it's going to irritate people. And its is it, is it really that they have an issue with the neon colors? It's, no, it's not. It's because I'm breaking myself out of their ability of their unconscious to just wash over the people in the crowd. So I'm mm-hmm. forcing myself into their consciousness by wearing an outfit that stands out or by <laughs> acting in a way that stands out. And, you know, I mean, in a way, if you want... To get down to the root of violence, in in a way, that's a violent act, right? And so, like, I mean, the repercussions are not awful, um, generally, but people react to it as if it's a violent act. And so, you're right, it is. It's you, you can't you can't remove these things because, I mean, in a way, we're a we're a social species, and and we don't we don't exist in a vacuum. I mean, we don't find each other and meet each other and mate and then leave and never interact <laughs> with other humans. We live in a these swarms forms of humans that bring in materials from hundreds and hundreds of miles away and pile them up into giant towers so we can do paperwork
0: (laughs) so i know that one of the things that we wanted to talk about today was this is good yeah yeah, this is one of the things i wanted I, i know that you mentioned that you're you know specifically interested in sensory augmentation and so there's a there's a A quick story I wanted to tell you here that what you just said brought up for me. Something happened to me last week that involved sensory augmentation and the violence of making a bid on someone's attention. And basically, I was in the mall last week taking photographs for a company that's doing a Street View style business directory of Austin's businesses. Mm -hmm. So you've got to take a 360 degree photo, I use a Ricoh Theta, and it's like the photosphere just outside the business and just inside the business. So of course, if I'm getting paid by the shot, where am I gonna go do this? The mall, right? So I'm in there and I'm just telling people real friendly, you know, hey, I'm just doing a business directory and you know, this is just gonna get more people in your door, we're just, it's a free service. Google actually charges for the same service by the way. And I was in there, I had it took me more than one day to sweep the entire mall. And the second day I went in there, somebody in the Claire's called mall security on me and they took me into the office to meet the director of the mall who (laughs) basically issued a cease and desist and I was detained by mall security for walking in there with this thing that has a camera on both sides and there's just there's something about specifically the sensory augmentation where people are aware this is not the first time I've experienced this I had this as a glass Explorer where people were visibly uncomfortable by the fact that I'm wearing this thing that they felt like meant that I could feel or know or sense more than they could and so I knew things about them that they didn't know about me. It makes people really uncomfortable. It's like a breach of contract. So I don't know. What do you What do you think about all of that stuff and I like mean, those issues?
1: That kind of stuff, I think, is really more of a privacy uh, surveillance issue. Neil Harbison has talked about being assaulted a couple times because people thought that he was recording them. That's the guy who's colorblind,
0: but he's got a, a microphone attached to his skull, so he can hear all of these
1: colors that human beings can't even see. Well, it's, it's an antenna, is what he calls it, and mm. it uh, it's actually a small camera. It sends sine waves into his skull, so uh, he's hearing through his skull. Effectively, everything from infrared to UV, I believe so. But yeah, anyway, um, Neil Harbison had said that he's been assaulted a couple times and he believes that in every every situation, people thought that he was recording them without his permission. Um, A lot of people who have been assaulted with Google Glass on have said that they felt like people were recording them without their permission. So I think, I don't like getting too deep into these issues because I think we have a wider, I hate using this this phrase. Sea change, uh, perspective change, culturally uh, about privacy, because I don't think some of these issues are going away, and people who are recording us certainly are not excited about stopping recording us, Um, whether that's our data on the internet, whether that's your CCTV when you go into the bank, whether that's whenever you get recorded on a phone call, when you call in for customer service at your cable service, that's awful. Um, People don't like being recorded, and so I I don't feel like people generally, I don't think we've had a lot of data reporting that people have attacked other people for their perceived advantages over them. So I don't mm. most of the, Neil has said in every in every opportunity he doesn't think that people have attacked him because he can see more colors than they can um, for instance or that It makes me kind of angry. Right. I mean I'll be honest Right.
0: <laughs> and that's the thing, it's like it, it doesn't, it's not, you know, maybe that wasn't the best example because it's not, for me it's, it isn't just a surveillance issue, it's also this issue of, you know, the, the fear that I hear when people talk about what, whatever, you know, limited refraction of transhumanism cool. is mostly the sense of being left behind.
1: I, I definitely think that there's that. I definitely think that um, people don't, in general, people don't like feeling that other people are better than them. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Um, do you like feeling like people are better than you? No. Um, so, I mean, there's... I think there's this innate generalization that um, I'm right all the time, and that other people are mistaken, and that my perspective—we'll get back into the senses—my perspective is the is the correct perspective, and other people are not. Uh, other people are perceiving the same thing that I'm perceiving, but not only that, but then they're misinterpreting it, or they're just acting a fool because. Obviously the things that I'm seeing and hearing are the things that they're seeing and hearing and perceiving. So, uh, to to push us more off on that tangent because it is what I like to talk about. And because it's, it's amazing Um, sensory augmentation and sensory substitution really, I think because of some of these issues have the, the biggest opportunity to fundamentally change, like who we are as people and how we interact with our environment. And I also think it's the biggest thing that's going to blindside people because some of this stuff is just right around the corner. Um, Like what? Well, so, uh, First, let's 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 lay some let's lay some foundational work. Um, in the past year, DARPA put out press releases that said that they are getting touched to work in prosthetics. Uh, they have hooked up a paraplegic woman to a jet simulator, and she taught herself how to fly the jet just by having her brain connected to it um, in a day or two. Uh, so we know now that. The brain is an amazing pattern recognition machine. So that's really all the brain does, is it recognizes patterns. Uh, When you're listening to a friend, you're hearing sounds come out of their mouth in patterns that your brain recognizes and associates with meaning when you are reading a book Hopefully. when, when you well and and this is the thing is so you're we all know that the way to communicate is you hear a thing and then you communicate feedback and you say that this is what i heard you say is this what you mean mm-hmm. and when we do that you are at your very core touching on the concept that we don't necessarily ascribe the exact same meaning as other people to sounds we have different connotations to words to me if somebody says blue right you may be talking about that like you kind of take with the sky if people talk about the color green a lot of times you're you think about nature and you think about the environment around you and because and so you're not just talking about the color you're talking about all the connotations that come with it so Because your brain is a pattern recognition machine and it hears these words and it reads these words, so you look at light bouncing off of your page and that comes across as symbols which come across as words which come across as meanings. And so in all of these things what we're doing is we are tapping into, our senses tap into the brain as a pattern recognition machine. So what we've learned is that it's a lot more simple than you might have expected to just plug a thing into the right part of the brain and let the brain figure out how to communicate with it. So in this jet fighter example, it's sending all sorts of data, you know, in electrical pulses, just like your optic nerve does, uh, to her brain to say that, okay, well, this is how far you are from the ground, this is how the wind condition is moving, this is how the plane is tilted, this is how it tilts up and down. We'll talk more about this in a bit. Um, Michael <laughs> Michael wrote one of those lovely articles that if you haven't read that that we'll get we'll get more into it. But so there are a lot of amazing groups going on right now, amazing projects going on that I mean even 10 years ago started. So in in 2005 a group called Feel Space created a belt with vibrator motors around the outside of the belt and it Sensed, the belt sensed where north is and vibrated where north was and so after some time of wearing this belt people reported that they had a better understanding of where north was in their environment but while you were wearing the belt you had a, a guaranteed um well as long as a magnetic compass works which it doesn't in inside buildings and there are issues with these senses because they're senses um <laughs> you had an idea of where north is So what they did was they gave a human being the ability to sense north and after wearing it for some time you stop recognizing it consciously and then you have this unconscious Understanding of, of where north is, just like you have an unconscious understanding of the road noise that's 300 feet from me, but I'm not hearing it. I'm not processing it con- consciously. So there's fuel space in 2005. More recently, Phantom Terrains, which uh, Frank Swain and Daniel Jones over in the UK wired a iPhone to communicate Wi-Fi signals to a pair of earbuds that Frank Swain wears constantly. So Frank is hearing impaired, so he wears hearing aids. He wears modern hearing aids. And they set up his iPhone to where it would... um, Transmit signal strength and SSID and encryption mode to his ear. So as he walked through his environment, he heard hums and other communications of uh, other interpretations of what Wi-Fi signals look like. So we know that uh, we can augment the senses through directly through like by hearing Wi-Fi or by knowing where north is. Um, and these are projects that have existed for years. BrainPort is a device that lets you see through your tongue. There's a similar device made by Colorado State University that lets you hear through your tongue. And all these do is they read visual or auditory signals in your environment and then transmit it to a grid of electrodes on your tongue. So we found that the tongue can actually sense <laughs> electrodes one millimeter apart from each other, which is a whole lot bigger resolution than the brain port has. But it's it's amazing enough that uh, Eric Weinmeier, who is has been blind since he was 13, can uh, climb to the summit of Mount Everest with this device. He does uh, really sheer surface climbing and does it entirely blind. Then there's Neosensory, who has the Vest. This is came out of one of David Eagleman's lab projects. Scott Novich is also with this project. And the Vest has a series of 32 vibrator motors around the Vest, and it was originally intended to augment people who were unable to hear. And in, what it does is it, the software they wrote for it initially takes sounds like technology and turns those into patterns around in the vest. So it goes like but it's in a very specific pattern. It's repeatable. When one person says technology, it sounds similar to when another person says technology. But it's also able to be used for things like being able to Feel the pitch or the awe or the roll of, of drones. So, if you wear this vest and you hook it up to your drone, you can feel which direction the, the drone is facing. And so, Michael actually wrote about some of this recently, and this is where it gets really interesting. And this is where we get back to the what is our bodies, right? Um, because what exists right now is drone racing leagues, and what they do in these drone racing leagues is they wear VR headsets because you can't fly a drone as well from the ground as you can looking from behind its eyes Um, and so imagine that you take this vest and the VR goggles and you wear both of them and so now you're not only seeing as the drone, you're feeling as the drone and let's add, you know, beyond that let's add wind sensors on it and and we can hook that up to an electrical stimulus on the back of your neck and let's add auditory signals from the drone and we can feed that into your ear these are things that we can do right now like these are things that we can do right now so we can give you Phantom Drone Syndrome <laughs> right, so when you you're can, not plugged in. You can live as a drone, and it, temporarily, right now. I mean, as long as the batteries lasted on your drone, I think is really the only the only thing. And if you if you put yourself into this environment, into this separate environment than you live in right now, so you're your surroundings, your environment as a human, is your sight, your sound, your your touch, what the humidity feels like, what the pressure is on your skin when you're sitting down, all of those things are normal, but when you encase yourself in this second environment in a way you're not even in your body anymore, it gets it gets to some really interesting philosophical questions really quick, but even without taking ourselves out of our own bodies, look, your your visual spectrum The visible light is a tiny sliver of the electromagnetic spectrum. You've got X-rays, which uh, we we know exist because we found them and then we made technology that could utilize them and could sense them, but we don't sense them directly, right? You've got gamma rays, which we know from the Fantastic Four gives you superpowers. Uh, There's (laughs) there's infrared light, which is is right next to our visible light. It's really close. A lot of animals have infrared light. It's not an unusual thing for a living creature To be able to sense. Oh, you know, I just saw that there was,
0: there's now, they found a way to use microscopic crystals and a laser in a frame of what looks like ordinary glasses. Mm -hmm. So that they're able to shift infrared up into the visible spectrum. And it's just a pair of spectacles that you can use to see IR instead of like a heavy, bulky pair of infrared goggles now.
1: And and see, this is why I like to talk about the older stuff is technology too, because like, just because it's a simple solution doesn't mean it's not technology. And just because we discovered it 2,000, 4,000 years ago, 5,000, whatever, doesn't mean that it's not body hacking in my perspective. I mean, if we would have figured out a way to to see infrared uh, 200 years ago, maybe we would be wearing infrared regular glasses all day long. But yeah, so we don't we don't even begin to see what the electro, electromagnetic spectrum is. Oh yeah, also FM, cell phones, Bluetooth, all of these things communicate in the same type of wavelength that the light that you see and interact with is. So imagine being Neil and being able to see an infrared and, and UV and like that's just part of your understanding of your environment. You don't have to Get out a device to view that it's a device that you wear all the time or it's Integrated into you genetically. We've we're actually working on gene therapy trials for color blindness right now So um, we may be able to do the same thing with tetrachromats and add a yellow cone to, to our vision so yeah the it's really difficult to talk about this in there, in this short amount of time. There was a you team. Real Wh- quick.
0: Who was it? You probably know. There was a team of guys in Portland that were looking at adding an infrared cone to the eyes of monkeys, mm. and and they found that they were able to do it, but that the monkey they they were doing these visual tests. And the monkeys did not immediately recognize that they were able to see this. It actually yep. took it took time for their brains to adapt. Yeah, and it will,
1: yeah, because your brain doesn't know what it's receiving. So when you're a baby, I have a one year old. When you're a baby, like all you see is blurs and you see flashes of color, and and you're not your your brain has not been see- your eyes have not been seeing yet, and so your brain has not been getting the signals from your eyes, and so therefore it takes time for your brain to recognize the pattern of impulses that your eyes are sending it, and to ascribe meaning to that. Like, that's that's what we mean, is how this works. And so, if we can add infrared through gene therapy, like we're doing in these monkeys, or if you already can't see color, and we can add a red-green cone, and now you can see color after a little while, our brains are amazing. and. I think as we add more senses to to our umwelt, uh, to our surroundings, <laughs> actually it's, it's, uh, surround, um, um, is surroundings and umwelt is the other one, whatever. It anyway. The, <laughs> it was like the set and setting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, as we add more senses to ourselves... I think we'll come to understand in a more experiential way uh, what our environment's like. So we know that x-rays exist, but we don't really understand as a part of our experience what that means. I understand where the sun is in relation to my body because that part of my body is warm. And if I could not feel heat and all I could see is light and I wasn't looking at the sun, I might not know where the sun was
0: totally like that 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 paints the whole history of humankind in this weird tragic lens where <laughs> i mean that's that's a mixed metaphor folks excuse me but but this this notion of photographs in a lens yeah Sorry. this 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 issue of like telling somebody not to stand so close to an operating microwave or or looking for a house and realizing that you don't the issue of electrohypersensitivity which is not a recognized clinical condition in the United States but is in Europe and there are these people who feel physical pain when a television is on it's like they they have a sense that everyone else doesn't have and it's being routed through this thing so in a way like my I guess I, I hope that that this would just make us more Able, more adequate—you know—that it would keep us from accidentally burning ourselves on the stove. You know, like that the the people who discovered—you know—Mary Curie and all these people Mm -hmm. that discovered all of these invisible spectra in the early 20th century. Most, you know, so many of them died of cancers. Yep, And, and how there's the liberating element of it is like, remember being a kid and like, oh, the white squares, the white tiles are lava. You know, and it's like, (laughs) if we could see the invisible lava of our universe, you know, if we could, like I heard recently there was a huge gamma ray burst that hit the earth this week and they were saying you know look you know be careful if you're hanging out in these you know it's like these areas space weather would be a a topic of ordinary porch conversation you'd be like oh look at that It's, it's beautiful another gamma ray burst guess we should go inside then again it's like getting back to that thing of well, hopefully it's cheap enough that it's available to everybody. Yeah. And
1: yeah, this is this is inherently the problem with with some of this stuff. Is it's like, okay, is it pervasive enough and inexpensive enough that everybody can have access to it, or does it um, create a further divide? Uh, it's you know, these are ethical issues that we have to learn to deal with, and we have to to thread that needle every day.
0: So there was, <laughs> when you were talking about the, the sensory substitution vests and belts, yes. there's there's a story in uh, Arizona State University's science fiction compilation Project Hieroglyph mm-hmm. by Vandana Singh called Entanglement, where the one of the characters living in British Columbia has put has some sort of sensor network in the rainforests up in mm-hmm. BC where they can tell the positions of all of the local charismatic fauna you know they're all being tracked by some really you know it, it, this is like 20 years from now or so so it's, <laughs> they've got a dense sensor network in the in the forest and he's trying to this character takes this dude who's responsible for this conservation policy decision, and he puts one of these vests on him, Mm -hmm. and the vest allows this guy to sense the location and distance of every creature in that forest. It gives him sort of like a prosthetic indigenous animistic awareness, and that that experience of being able to actually feel the life of the forest in a Channel that's understandable by some metropolitan technocrat was like the make-or-break moment of that narrative Well,
1: and and this is the thing is what we don't realize is that all of our senses are What a lot of us don't realize is a lot of our senses are mostly unconscious uh, interactions on our being and so many things that we do and so many problems that we try to solve consciously we our consciousness gets in the way of our own of our own problem solving so if if this person uh, was trying to read a bunch of data on all of these animals every day then they're not going to react as if as intuitively they're not going to react as intelligently as quickly as somebody who wakes up in the morning and goes oh I my underarm feels sick. I wonder how the pumas are doing. Right? <laughs> I mean, this is why I think it's it's such a a fascinating thing as we start putting more sensors into our brain. Let me phrase it that way because that's really what we're doing. As we start adding more sensors into our brain, we're going to we're going to have to say, okay, well, at what level are these sensors part of who I am? At what level is this is this forest part of my very being. So, I mean, if you wake up in the morning and there's a literal pain in your side, you're more likely to to pay attention to that and go and resolve that. And I think it helps us process our environment, process nature um, in a completely different way. This is actually uh, one of the things that, that Neil talks about a lot. It's one of the things that the company that neil and moon Rebus, who senses earthquakes through her elbow um <laughs> and and some other folks have have put together there's a there's a company called um cyborg nest and they are actually attempting to create individual new senses for humans their first product they've built is called north sense and it's meant to replicate um an actual animal type experience of knowing where North is all the time. So it's it's uh, pierced onto, preferably, your chest and it's supposed to be born 24-7. So uh, it's one of those, like, now I'm consciously always processing where it is. Obviously, you're going to have issues, again, in concrete buildings, around uh, heavy electrical wires or anything else that makes electromagnetic fields. But, realistically, that's, that's the sense. It's like, that's part of the experience with that with that new sense that you're adding in. So their whole mission is to try to help people engage more thoroughly with their environment, I think is is the way they're phrasing it. So mm. we're looking at being able to sense north, we're looking at being able to um sense the ozone conditions of that day. So like what if if you live in an area that has a lot of ozone alerts, you don't you don't need to check it that day. You just kind of look out the window or step outside for a little bit. Oh, it's awful. So, um, yeah, it's it's mind blowing. And I mean, you say twenty years on the the guy in the forest, but with the budget, with the right budget, we could do that on today's technology. Yeah, this thing about you know Marshall
0: McLuhan making the case that it's the ratios of the senses that we emphasize that determine the way that we relate to one another socially yes and that this may like the main difference between print and an oral tradition is actually the same kind of main difference that we see between print and the internet where everything is becoming much more immersive and immediate, and we're getting into uh, what Douglas Rushkoff called fractal noia because we're actually embedded in that sensor network already to the extent that right. we're paying attention to the little box, Yeah. you know? And so so these, these ripples of emotional resonance and excitation you know this the whole issue that people have been having with fake news because we are we're we're basically living in this like post-literate rumor society now whenever i think about this stuff i wonder how the discovery of new senses or rather what the discovery of new senses will mean socially when you know like we are we going to get together in a social molecule where like the wildebeest can smell well, the zebra can see well, and so they they herd together, and so we'll have like Moon Rebus can sense earthquakes, and Neil Harbison can see u v and so they team up you know and it's like it, it it seems like we'll end up favoring these sort of pods of people with different ab- abilities
1: well, I mean I think we we do that now. So, I mean, like when you build a company, you don't hire five marketing folks, right? (laughs) You don't hire uh, 10 teenagers to answer your cell phones, your, your phones, right? I mean, you, diversity in 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 all things is valuable to us i mean like we 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 know that we know that when we have people around us who think differently than we do that it helps us identify problems that we miss it it helps us identify holes in our senses we'll say and so i mean i i I think to me that's an obvious one i think i mean you will probably have Groups of people who are all about the visual senses, I'm sure, though, too, and they'll all commune together and look at things very closely. Uh, but I mean, <laughs> and, and it will definitely, it, I mean, it'll definitely change our culture in general. I mean, just think uh, you were talking about zebras, but. Humans, um, we're mostly visual. We we know this. Uh, we rely almost entirely on our visual sense, and everything else is kind of layered on top of what we what we think of of our visual sense. So, because of that. A lot of the ways that we separate ourselves as individuals to bring us back to the the beginning is in the way we dress, in the way we cut our hair. Um, When we want to make ourselves more attractive to other people, we wear makeup or we dress in a certain way. But if we had the sensory umwelts of a dog where we hardly saw anything but we, we had a very good sense of smell, we probably wouldn't spend as much time wearing clothes with different color patterns and different... Accents, but we would probably have a much more expressive perfume industry. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think all of these things have the potential to change culture drastically, and as all of these things come about and as they become more common, um, as we get out of beta testing on a lot of those, because realistically that's where we are as we're in beta testing in a lot of these things. And as they become more accessible, I mean, who, if you could spend $100 and since North all the time and it worked and it was a simple device to recharge in 15 minutes, would you not?
0: wirelessly recharge hopefully. like
1: wirelessly recharge how many, t- how many things right. do i
0: have to feed is the question so and you this know, is it's s- like that's that getting back to that issue of autonomy it's like how yeah. many what are the strings attached to all these superpowers do i have right. to you know am i going to pay google for a subscription
1: well if and if i have a giant robot that lets me travel all over the the world by walking through the ocean i mean the cost for that is, is a lot <laughs> right and so um i don't if i want a body that is a giant robot that I can sense and feel and see out of and hear through and is effectively me when I'm inside of it. It's gotta be able to have sex too. Like, it's... That's the killer app. Those are the for, expensive robots, though. Yeah. I mean, and maybe I don't want a giant robot for that one. Maybe. <laughs> see, and why do you want just one robot? Why don't you want two robots? Why would you not make? A, see, like, and, it, and at some point, it's, it's the same problem that we have with everything. It's like I want a pickup truck for moving, for moving stuff from place to be, and I want uh, a car that's comfortable with a really good sound system and great gas mileage for my daily commute in and out of the city. So. I think that these are not problems that we don't already have. And we have solutions for these problems already. And of course, this is where we get into the monetary divide. I mean, of course, some people will be able to, to afford 10 robot bodies and some people will go, hey, you know, I'm pretty happy with my one. <laughs> and some people will go, mm, no thanks, I well, hate and that's, that. And that's, and, that's, and, that's, and that's cool too. I mean, I, I think having a body is really cool. And I'm more interested in, in adding senses to my existing body, in making modifications to my existing body, than leaving it all together for another one permanently or semi-permanently. But... I mean, these are all choices that, that we have as individuals to express ourselves and to experience our environment in the way that we choose to experience our environment. It's not anything different than what we've been doing for ten thousand years or, or longer.
0: Unless of course, you know, you're Matt Damon in Elysium and you have to wear that fucking power suit in order to do your job, which I think, you know, how this is gonna open up into the job space is really fascinating and how Again, to bring up Avatar, you know, to enter another body for work, and then to come home and be your own body is that 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 issue of, you know, feeling like there's an emotional divide between what you do for a living and what you're doing at, when you get off, when you clock out is going to get so profound and deep and fractal and weird you can. when you're like, you know, when I go to work, I fly and I, you know, and I ha- and I can breathe underwater and then I come home and I can't do
1: any of that. shit. So, yeah, imagine a, a, a world. Okay. Here I'm going to talk about 10 or 20 years from now. Get ready. Okay. Imagine a world 10 or 20 years from now when pilots stay at home, right? And your commercial yeah. airline pilot is not on your plane because... He just puts his headset on and goes to work. Um, we can't sense. This is one of the one of the big issues with stuff like this right now is we can't communicate through the skull. We have built such a uh, strong bony structure to protect ourselves, you know, because we keep punching we, Because we keep punching ourselves in the face. If only face. we had punched each other less. If only we had punched each other less, maybe we could have giant robot bodies already. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, we're. Most of this stuff, like DARPA's experiments, are are happening with people that already have bodies that don't function like the rest of ours do. And so it's easy to justify and it's easy to experiment making holes in the skull, literally, to put electrodes directly on the brain, but I mean for the rest of us if you're just going to work you may not need that and technology is getting better, sensors are getting better, we're getting better at reading signals from the brain, OpenBCI is doing some really amazing work on this and they've just released a new version and I think they had a sale recently, but either way, there are a lot of great companies doing a lot of great work and I think it's going to have repercussions for a lot of things, and look, we don't even we don't even have to talk about giant robot bodies, right? Um, let's <laughs> I mean, talk. I kind of have to. Okay, let's talk about controlling prosthetics. So right now, if you have a top of the line prosthetic, it has a myoelectric sensor, likely um, on the device itself, that hopefully gets lined up with your muscles in the right way, and that when you flex muscles further up in your arm, for instance, or in your shoulder. Uh, or in other places in your body it communicates those myoelectric sensors read the electrical impulses from your muscles and communicate to the device that you want to move it. Where we're getting is being able to read the brain telling those muscles to communicate and then having the device move. So we're moving to a more unconscious interaction with, with some of these devices and we Already have a really weird line with people and their prosthetics. So if an airline loses a, a person's prosthetic leg, <laughs> it's treated like a property claim and not like a personal injury. Huh. So if you rely on this device to interact with your environment, to communicate with your environment, to sense your environment, at what level is it you? At what level do we need to protect ourselves from each other damaging our sensory apparatuses, whether those are grown on us inside of our mothers or whether we attach them after the fact
0: like it's probably not even a crime right now to delete somebody's facebook profile it's, I, mean, I mean other than the other than like you know you could they, they've hacked your it
1: may be a misdemeanor yeah. right?
0: i mean but i mean those are the things like my buddy who's an archivist he's going to be andrew o'keefe is going to be joining us on the future fossils team here shortly as a co-host and he's the archivist for singularity university right and one of the things that he and i talk about a lot is that Martin rothblatt dual platform identity where you've left so much information about yourself online that you essentially have like a mold like a digital version of you that you can live in a conversation with that can be can be your proxy or avatar in digital space and could be used for voting or you're talking about mind clones yeah mind Um, clones yeah so like if somebody right now if somebody were to kill your mind clone that's a non-crime
1: right you know well and and this is the thing is so this gets us into ai a little bit it's i think Martine's spot on if we're going to guess 10 or 20 years out. Um, I think Martine's pretty pretty close on this concept here because at some point, what, what again, what is you, what are the boundaries of your body, what is your data, what is the difference between your memory and um, the things that I keep in my cell phone? If I memorize <laughs> my cell phone, if I memorize my home phone number 20 years ago, is that any difference than if I have my, cell, my home phone number in my cell phone and that's the only way I can access it? i mean (laughs) we don't we don't have laws for this we don't have a cultural understanding that's ready to make these kind of ethical decisions and i think that's the scariest thing is is that a lot of this technology just moves is moving so quickly and a lot of us as a species are so not ready to process the changes of 20 years ago let alone process the changes of now Mm. um so This is why I think it's important to have these conversations. It's important to talk about that your sensory understanding of your world is not the same as my sensory understanding of my world, even if you're sitting right next to me, even if we're sitting across from each other, especially if we're sitting across from each other. I don't know what's behind me. Michael does. Yeah. Although I got to (laughs) say,
0: I got to say, I had an experience many years ago, uh, while under the influence of psychedelic mushrooms, admittedly, but we're talking like a decade ago, folks. Um, <clears throat> where I I did for a moment, and this is this is where there's a part of me that's always going to be a little like woo-woo, new agey, critical, like human potential, Esalen kind of of the uh, like technological prosthesis that is enabling us to communicate telepathically, for example, when it Mm. seems there's so much evidence that we're already doing this and like certain of our latent capacities, you get into the same issue with memory where it's like, so in this experience, I actually did see what my girlfriend was seeing for a moment. Like this this is a bizarre I've only met a couple other people that have ever had any kind of experience like this where you I slipped out of my own point of view and into hers and I could see the field behind me like I was looking at trees she had her back to the tree line you know I wonder about stuff like that and I wonder is is my reliance (laughs) on cameras of preventing my my own innate faculty for like remote viewing well are or you something. are you
1: are you tied are you tied down to a central place because your senses are so overwhelmingly crushing signals into your brain
0: mm,
1: right yeah. um so i mean this is this is an interesting tangent here because i mean it gets into some of my uh initial reasons why I'd, i mean i'm in this into this kind of stuff is because we have such a limited understanding of what the world is like and when i say world i don't just mean this planet but you know everything beyond it but let's just pretend like it's the only place right now um (laughs) and we we have we have no idea on what level we communicate we've realized recently so when i was growing up we talked about the five senses i don't know if they're teaching kids this nowadays because Uh, unfortunately i think they are realistically i mean it's not five senses you've got edge detection in your eyes that's separate from motion detection and some of these things are just Mind blowing and mind blowingly amazing. There are brain damage conditions where you can see things, but you don't ever see things move. <laughs> so, like, you can be pouring a cup of water in one moment and you see the water pouring into there, and it's a still photo, and then a moment later, there's a still photo in front of you of the water is overflowing out of the cup and you don't have the motion sensor part of your brain active anymore. So these things are separate. These things are not individual senses. You've got edge detection, motion detection, color detection, light detection. Um, we talk about our touch as it's one thing, but you've got pressure and you've got temperature and you've got humidity and you've got electric, you've got, you can feel electrical fields to some extent. Fun, Fun fact folks
0: actually the the humidity and temperature ones my understanding is it's the same nerve type okay which is why it's so easy to trick yourself into believing that something is wet when you touch like a piece of cold metal and it feels but yeah so So,
1: no so i mean this and that's and that's great i mean we we sense what our digestion is like at times we have some limited sense of that otherwise you don't sense necessarily what your lungs feel like but you do sense what your digestive system feels like so we're we already have so many senses but they're just so limited and we talk as people and we communicate with each other like our senses our direct senses are the only way that are the only way we can perceive things we can observe things that are happening in our environment and that's why science is really so important is because up until now We haven't had a way to perceive those things um, experientially. We haven't had a way to perceive those things as part of our existence. We've only had a way to perceive those things secondhand through an X-ray machine or through infrared goggles or through um, our radios in our car that let us sense the radio waves that are coming across. When these analog signals were sent, radio waves, when it's an analog, if you could perceive FM and AM radio waves that were sent analog, you will get those sounds directly into you, right? And they're not di- like so now they're sent digitally. So like I mean that's probably you'd, you'd be getting ones and zeros. Not as fun to listen to. Um, yeah. But I mean so there's so much we don't see, there's so much we don't understand, and I think that that's really the beginning of of the whole journey, and that's always been been part of who I was, uh, was trying to study these things, trying to understand these things, whether it was psychology and trying to figure out how my own brain worked, whether it was neuroscience and biology and trying to figure out how I interact with my environment and how I distinguish my environment from myself. I mean, all of these things are are part of a, a journey of understanding your own place in the universe. And I think that as we connect ourselves to our environment in new and interesting ways whether that's a prosthetic or whether that's our car or whether that's a drone that we fly to check out the way the rainforest looks today for because that's part of our work i mean I, anyway we're all we're all of those we're trying to understand our, our own place in the universe and
0: getting more mysterious yeah
1: you know i mean that's the thing is the world is a mysterious fucking place Um, and it's always been a mysterious place and that's why we that's why we try to understand it and that's why we've developed language so we could communicate with each other and it's why we developed writing so we could hold those ideas beyond our own lifespans and it's why we've created telephones so we could communicate those ideas further across and the more that we can Find ways to communicate those ideas to other people, and the more that we can find ways to experience those ideas for ourselves, I think we we have a better understanding of what we're doing here and and what this place is. Gosh, well, that's, <laughs> that seems like a good place to tie a bow on it. Out of, out yeah, of respect so for too. your time,
0: I, I had a a devarication divi- failure with my outboard memory this morning, and we had to cut this interview a little short because I'm this, getting rambly anyway. Yeah, but but <laughs> but before we go, two things. Uh, the first is I I, I love I love asking guests, if you had a question for the future, because this really, this is, this podcast is about the project I'm not going to live to see finished, right? Right. And maybe you will, because you're a little hackier than I am. Uh, but if so if you had a question for the future, what would it be?
1: <laughs> so you're going to think this is funny, um, because it's one of the first things that you said on this podcast, but it wasn't, the it, I had come up with it this morning before you got here. I really like asking the question of people in general, and I think that this is more important as we diversify as a species and as we diversify as individuals, is to ask ourselves, what does it mean to be human? And. Because I don't really think that there's an answer to that. I think the answer is in its exploration. And if I was going to be speaking to people who weren't born yet, I would be asking this question in a way to hopefully encourage them to continue the search and not to decide that they found it already.
0: Oh! cool right on and then lastly before we go where can pe- where where do you want to send people where oh, know, obviously yeah. the body hacking Shameless conference website plug!
1: Da, da, da. Yeah. all right so um, body hacks or body hacking con is at austin texas january 27th through 29th so that's in a little over a month from now this just before christmas eve eve day And uh, so that's at Austin Convention Center. You can still get tickets online at bodyhacksbdyhax.com. Tickets will probably be also available day of at the show. We've got a fashion tech fashion show on Friday night. The conference is Saturday and Sunday all day. And then we have the wormhole where we celebrate the science fiction and fantasy around this space on Saturday night at a dance party. So check out the website. Check out all the great speakers we've got. Um, Some of the companies that I talked about today uh, because I love them will be there, including Neosensory and Brainport and Cyborg Nest.
0: And, of course, the, the Body Hacking Conference website has a very interesting blog, which I have a few articles on. They have a lot of other interesting writers and contributors to that. So, if, yeah, well. if
1: you like this stuff about being in a drone, read Michael's article, Being Every Drone. Um, it's not just one, Being Every Drone. Talking about drone swarms and getting inside of them <laughs> and feeling them as a net of sensors. Um, it's we're, we're close. We could be there in a year or two. Because I definitely have, you know, I've thought, man,
0: I would love to swarm all over you baby well i mean
1: there's uh astral ar is a company that will be at the event and they are i I believe working on swarming technology for drones oh dear so all right well dude thank you so much trevor
0: and have a great day you too
1: Uh, you We've know,
0: got a lot more to The work. work is not done here. And we may not ever figure it out. We probably won't figure it out.